Amen. Amen. Isn't that, you guys enjoy that video? Thank you to the kids and the parents who made that possible. Um, I know that I mean, it's the best we could do with the circumstances that we're in. I know the children really missed um, having the choir and really meeting every Sunday. Nevertheless, we, we, we trust in the Lord. We believe in God's sovereignty. Um, and so here we are. And so uh, this morning, of course, uh, is a very special Sunday. It is Resurrection Sunday. It's a day of the great celebration of the Lord's resurrection. And it is a day that's filled of fellowship and joy. Um, usually it's done in person. <laughs> so it does change things a little. And, and um, I know that you're at your house. And uh, our celebration and rejoicing really this morning is not just because Jesus historically resurrected from the dead, right? It's not a, just a historical event. It's not like we're celebrating independence, 1776, right? It is much more than that. See, when Jesus rose again, he was completely and definitively, as I have, if you have in your notes, brought us from, uh, uh, brought us from uh, death onto life. He brought us life from the dead. Okay, And so as we begin this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a couple of passages. And really what I want us to focus on this morning is not just the resurrection itself, but if I could say this, the benefits, the impact, what it does to us. What it means for us to go from dead to life, from death into life. You see, our present life is a life unto death. If you have your Bibles with me, and again, your notes, pull, the, pull those out with me. We're going to look at different passages. But in Psalm 89, verse 48, we read this. Who can live and not see death? Or who can escape the power of the grave? You see, uh, in the history of mankind, there's been this ongoing cycle of death. All of us have that as the leveling playing field of our lives. Yet, if you were to look at any type of statistic, and again, I put this in your notes, you'll see that with more technology, more education, better health systems, death is almost something like a tragedy, something that happens in the course of life that just happens to us. In fact, death uh, is more of a... Of a thing that shouldn't happen in an age of prosperity and wealth. In fact, we no longer fear death itself. Instead, we, feel go we fear governments, we fear terrorists. And you know what we fear? Not having enough money to put food on the table. Yet, in Scripture, death is not just a simple tragedy. Death is something much more. And I think as we think about the resurrection of our Lord, we must understand what death is to understand what life is. And so uh, when you think of death, many of us think, like I just mentioned, like a tragedy or something bad that happened to us. But the true nature of death is much more than that. The true nature of death hides behind a great age of wealth and prosperity. In fact, many of us don't really fear death. Right? Maybe, maybe, maybe right now we do, right, because of the coronavirus. But before and even after this, you know what's going to happen. We're going to go back to normal, right? We've got to work. We gotta provide for our family. We have to live our life. We have to be happy. In fact, if you were to ask somebody today that's watching, or even some of our family members, and you 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 would say, listen, listen to this online teaching. Listen to come to our church, or you know, it's Resurrection Sunday. It's about new life from the dead. You know what they would say? New life. What new life? I love my life. I don't need a new life. Why would I need a savior when I'm doing just fine? It's because we don't have a concept of death. Our construct of death is not one, uh, that, a biblical construct, but a, a, a made-up construct, a tragedy, a momentary thing that happens to us. 
Death, however, and here's where I want to begin this morning as we think about the Lord's resurrection, is that death is not the act of dying, but it's a state of being. Okay? In the Old Testament, a death is related to Sheol, which is a Hebrew, Hebrew word which means hell. Death is an eternal state apart from God, his righteousness, his blessedness. Turn with me to uh, Psalm, Psalm 6. Turn there with me. Psalm 6, and I have two different versions that I love. I love the NASB, uh, New American Standard, and um, the NIV is pretty good too. So go there to Psalm, uh, verse, uh, Psalm 6, verse 5. And I'm just going to read to you what the psalmist says about death. Among the dead, this is the NIV, no one proclaims your name. Okay, among the dead, so where death is, no one proclaims the name of God. Who praises you from the grave? Who praises God from the dead? You know, it's a rhetorical question. No one. NASB puts it this way. For there is no mention of you in death. In Sheol, right, which is hell, who will give you thanks? Death is not just a tragedy, but it's eternal judgment through the wrath of God. There is nothing for us in death. This is what begins to, this is how the resurrection begins to make sense. Because when Jesus says we're going to bring new life from the dead, it is not just a tragedy. But it is an eternal state of separation from God. Let me read to you another passage, Ecclesiastes 9. It says this, Whatever your hands find to do, do with all your might. For in Sheol, in the realm of the dead, where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. Brothers and sisters, there is nothing for us in the realm of the dead. When Socrates lay dying, he asked all his disciples to come near him, and, and, he, and they asked him, are we going to live again? Shall we live again? And you know what he said? He said, I, I don't know. I hope so. I hope, I hope that, 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 that we come back from the dead. And so we don't like to talk about death because he questions God's character. Like, why would God allow death? If death is so bad, why would God allow that? But the fact is that sin is the result, uh, death, sorry, is the result of our sin. Death is the result of what we have done to God's love. Through Adam and Eve, our first parents, in fact, we were the ones that brought sin into the world. According to Genesis 3, we have all sinned. Because of our sin, there's been separation from God. And that separation has brought death, eternal death, to all mankind. Now it's Easter. We're talking about death. Trying to give you context here. We cannot fully uh, wrap our mind around the benefits and, and the impact of the resurrection without understanding the impact and what it means to be apart from God, which, which means being dead. We were banned from eternal life in Genesis chapter 3, verses 21 and 24, and I have that verse on your notes. We, it says that we were banned from the tree of life. Think about, think about that for a moment. That we would never taste eternal life again. That because of our sin, we have been separated from God. And not just not know God, but we no longer live forever. We no longer have true hope for eternity. There is no benefit for us here on this side of eternity. C.S. Lewis said this, Jesus has forced open the, uh, the door that has been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought, and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. Amen? Hallelujah. See, death died when Jesus rose. You're right where you are. Would you say that with me? Right? Say this. Death died when Jesus rose. Okay? 
So, so, so here's Sheol, here's purposelessness, here's, here's death, and here's the resurrection giving us life from the dead. We must understand our concept of death before we understand our concept of life. And so here's the point as we begin uh, this, this sermon this morning. We rejoice and celebrate not simply because Jesus came out of the grave. It is that. It is much more than that. It's because when he came out of the grave, we came out of the grave with him. Amen? Jesus' resurrection is not a sentimental pat on the back. You can tell people and go, you need the resurrection power of Jesus. It's not just that. It's not that. There's an actual cosmic impact on your life. Things have changed cosmically, which means the world itself has changed. Because he has brought life from the dead. What's the impact? How does the resurrection of Christ change our perceptions of ourselves and God? What is your perception of God? If you're watching this morning and, and you're struggling with your understanding of God, maybe you don't have a relationship with God. Or even here in this room, we, we're trying to grasp with the resurrection as merely a holiday on Easter that we celebrate, but we're not really thinking about the impact of the resurrection. What has it done for us? What does it continue to do every single day that we look at the resurrection as the power of God, which brings us from death to life? That's what we're going to go uh, into this morning. Uh, we're going to go over four uh, different impacts that the, that the resurrection has done. There's much more than that, but, but at, the very, at the very least, very foundational, as we sing here these songs, when we sing, you know, death, you know, where is your sting, as we rejoice together, as we worship together, we need to know what we're celebrating. We need to know why we're excited and why we worship Jesus resurrected. Amen. Let me pray uh, as, we, as we begin to dive in. Father, uh, I ask you uh, this morning as a community, Lord, as we gather together, that we may remember what death was like. We may remember our life apart from Christ. That death was not just a tragedy, but it was a state of being. That we were apart from you. We were separated from you, and you have brought us into life, a life that is eternal. But there are benefits. There are impacts in our life. I ask you that we may remember these things as we look at your word and as we remember that, Lord, when you were raised from the dead, we were raised from the dead with you. That we now have life, an eternal life that cannot be taken away by anyone or anything. We ask you for your blessing, Lord, that we may rejoice with you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And um, I want to begin uh, this morning with uh, just a little kind of a humorous sort of story, but... Um, Dr. Stanley Jones, which is a, a missionary, uh, wrote a, a delightful autobiography. It's called The Song of Sense. Uh, he tells of a, of a new convert who becomes um, involved in the local church. He, he becomes a friend, and he wants to conduct a funeral service. One, somebody had died, and so he reaches out to him, and he says, you need to read your Bible. Just, just, just you know, the Bible is our manual. Being an exact man, his friend, uh, Dr. Jones's friend, he wanted to do it properly. So he thought, all right, you tell me to look at the Bible. I'm going to look at the Bible. So he turned to the New Testament, and he begins to read the New Testament. He begins, how would Jesus conduct a funeral? He looks through it. He looks through it. And he finds out that Jesus does not conduct funerals. All he conducts are resurrections. <laughs> See, the Christian life on this side of Calvary really should be called the age of the resurrection. God is bringing new life 
to every single aspect of our lives in this age. He's bringing us life from the dead. The Christian life on this side of Calvary is, is much different thanks to uh, Christ's work on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. The Apostle Paul makes the resurrection of Jesus the center, if I could say, the center of his letter and the gospel. Uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, we're going to read verses 17 and 19. And so here is Paul talking to a church that's struggling with division, that's struggling with, uh, you know, kind of having, uh, saying some leaders are better than others, uh, you know, issues with pride, issues with um, how to lead a church, orderly church, how to have a Sunday service. Um, and, and Paul summarizes the gospel in this way to remind them what the gospel actually is, the good news of Jesus Christ. And he says this, um, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 17, and 19. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ. We are of all people most to be pitied. See, when Paul began to talk about the gospel, he put the, the resurrection right in the center. And he said, listen, if without the resurrection, you have no gospel. Okay? Jesus at the cross, man, he paid for our sins. But it is the resurrection that, uh, that actually makes that effective. Christ would cease to be true Messiah and, in fact, would be a false Messiah if he did not raise from the dead. Yet this morning, we do have hope. We're not to be pitied. We believe and know that Jesus has come back from the dead. We have gone from death to life. And so as we begin and talk about the first impact, uh, although it might be basic for some of you, I think there's so much more that we can uh, learn through this morning. And it is this. Let me go through the first way uh, that the resurrection impacts us. Uh, that we can rejoice for this and, and truly uh, live a different life because of his resurrection. Uh, number one, sin is no longer our master. Okay? How many people have sinned today? All right? All right. See some hands up. How about you guys? How many hands? Okay, there you go. Uh, every single person in this room, okay, uh, have something called an indwelling sin, the sin of Adam. Okay? That, that, that we're innately sinful people. We cannot stop from sinning. That's a problem. Because God is holy. And so every single religion apart from Christianity, you know what they do to cover up that sin? They have some sort of works righteousness at the center of their gospel, of their good news. This means that uh, to become part of God's kingdom, there requires to be some work on their end to make themselves acceptable before God. You sin in the morning, all right, you got to say your morning prayers. Oh, you sin before God, okay, you got to go to the temple, right, uh, to, to do whatever it might be. Whether, whether it is the final state of nirvana, heaven, some other blessed state, all religions, all of them apart from Christianity, depend on our good works, good deeds, done with the help of God or some other um, higher power. And as I mentioned before, the problem is that since the fall, guess what? We cannot keep those commandments. Okay? No sinner can keep the, com the covenant of works with absolute perfection. The Bible states that we were uh, slaves to sin. Okay, we were slaves to sin. Uh, go with me to Romans 6. Go to Romans 6, verses 17 and 18. Go to Romans 6. It says this. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. 
you have been set, watch this, set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Let me, let me press that further. Jesus said this, I say to you, this is John 8, 34, I, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Okay, I, I know that in your head there is like white lies and, and really, you know, big lies, small lies. But for God, all sin is separation from God. All sin makes us slaves to sin. Our affections, our tendencies, our longings were all dictated by an ongoing willful opposition to his law. I know that we don't like hearing that word, slaves. It sounds very mean. We don't like to be slaves. We want to be free. But apart from the resurrection, we were actually slaves. A slave to, to sin indicates that a person is obligated to follow the will of sin. A person has no power to leave the master of sin on his or her own. The effect of the resurrection, and you can read this along with me, is that sin no long, can no longer run free in your life. When Jesus said, it is finished in John 19, he meant it. Amen? He was not playing. He was not saying, it is finished, but you're really going to struggle all your life, man, and sin is really going to overtake you, and just deal with it. See how, see how you handle all these things. We know this is true because we see it in Scripture. Think of all the men who went through a great reversal. I know of a great murderer. His name was Paul. Well, Saul, right? Then became Paul. I know of that guy. He was a murderer. His life changed. He stopped sinning. I think of Carly Peter. I think of other men throughout church history who, who simply did not want Christ, and then something happened. And it was the fact that sin no longer was their master. The cross brought the forgiveness of sins. Amen. We're free from our sin. But the resurrection made effective its power in our belief that this is true. In fact, we have that resurrection power, not, not emotionally, right? I think that we can think of that way. But it's the power to put sin to death. Jesus defeated death at the cross and made, again, effective his victory of the resurrection. Now, here's where it's practical. When, when, you know, again, you've heard this before maybe, but here's where it's practical. Think about your issues. Think about our addictions. Think about our consistent struggles with sin we cannot get rid of. Okay? Well, guess what? Jesus defeated that sin. It did not, um, uh, it, it did not hold him. It, it did not stun him. He defeated it. Although he, although he was sinless, he, was still, he still carried our sin, and the result of it was not death, but life. Think about that for a moment. Sin was placed on him, and death did not take place, but life. He died to have life. Can you defeat sin? Answer, answer that question as we think about this. Can you, can you truly defeat sin? Colossians 3 tells us what, right? Put to death the things of the flesh. Put to death. I think we can that doesn't mean that we're perfect. That doesn't mean we're going to muster emotion and, and, and put some type of moralistic ideas to go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat this thing because if I think about it, if I do it, I'm going to beat it. Not at all. We beat it because we hold on to him. We hide behind him. We place every accusation behind him. He is in whom we're united. We're united in Christ. And when we're, we're united with him through his spirit, sin has no power. Amen? Sin has no power. Brothers and sisters, we rejoice here. We sing the, when we say death, where is your sting? You know what we're saying? Sin, where is your sting? Sin, you cannot have a hold of me. I am free. And I think as we think about uh, the certainty of, of, of the resurrection and we think about what he has done for us, we must begin to look at our lives and say, Lord, what sins in my life, what, what am I struggling with that I keep falling into? 
Why? Why do I keep doing this? I, I, I would say, I would recommend to you, I would, I would uh, exhort you to think about if you have a high view of the resurrection of Christ. If you truly believe that the resurrection uh, gave us freedom from sin. Amen. So that's one. Uh, so we have one, sin is no longer our master. Two, our faith is certain. Okay. Confucius, he died. Buddha, he died. Muhammad, he died. Jesus is alive, right? Uh, again, because we're so used to the resurrection, maybe we, we forget that piece that he's the only one that's not in the grave. He's the only one that's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And I'm going to say this, I think part of the Christian faith is doubt. One of the things I always say is that doubt is part of the Christian faith. That, that doesn't make you sinful. In fact, you guys remember there was a doubting Thomas? There was a, a disciple that doubted? What does that show you? We're, we're, we're people who are just sinful people. We doubt. But that doesn't mean that our faith is not certain. You can have some doubts, but you can still have certainty in your faith. And here's why. And so I have, uh, in your, again, maybe in your notes, I have seven different things here that I believe give us certainty. And I want to go through some of them. But let me go to number one. Jesus predicted his resurrection. As we look at scripture and we think about how can we be certain that, we, that, we can, that our faith, like that Christ actually did what he did. Well, he predicted it. Matthew 16, 21 says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and on the third day he must be raised. Our faith can be certain because Jesus' word is true. He predicted his own resurrection. Okay, Two, the Old Testament prophesied about it. Psalm 16.10, Acts 2.25-31. Jesus wasn't, he didn't just come up with this. Jesus did not just think of it as he was going. Okay, this was in fact prophesied by prophets of the Old Testament. It was part of the storyline of God's redemptive uh, plan. Three, the tomb was empty. The grave clothes were, uh, were vacant. If those who opposed Christ wished to silence his disciples, all they had to do is produce a body. But according to John 20, they could not. In other words, there were witnesses. Okay? Our faith can be certain because this was not just a, a human idea. There were over 500 witnesses. There were people's lives who were changed. There were people who gave their life for this message. That tells us that our faith can be certain in history and its testimony and its witness to uh, those who follow uh, Jesus. Number four, many people saw the resurrected Christ, and I just alluded to that. They looked on his face, they touched him, they heard his voice, and saw him eat. Okay? How shaky is your faith? Do you believe that Jesus actually resurrected from the dead? I'm sure that if you are new to Christianity, if you, um, certainly like I thought when I first came to Christ, I did not believe it. I need, my faith was shaky all the time because I would always say, how do we know though? Like, who was there to tell him, you know, how do we have the copies of copies of texts that tell us this? How do we know he was seen? But in fact, that's what we see in, in Scripture, Matthew 28, 16, and 20. Number five, the lives of the disciples revolutionized. Though they fled and even denied Christ at the time of his arrest, they later feared no one in their proclamation of the risen Christ. If they, had, if they hadn't really seen Jesus, you think they would give their lives for Christ? I, I don't believe so. I believe that when they encountered Jesus, 
there was a radical change of what fear was. There was a radical change of what this life meant. There was a radical change of certainty of eternal life. You only give up your life if you know there is eternal life. Number six, the resurrection was the central message of the early church. The church grew with an unwavering condition, uh, conviction that Christ had risen from the dead. Okay, let me just read Acts 4, verse 33. With great power, the apostles continued to testify of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and God's grace was so powerfully working in them all. One of the first things the church began to do when it began to grow is preach of the resurrection of Jesus. That's how central and key it was to the church. As we think about our faith being certain, it's certain because Jesus has done it. Because Jesus has resurrected from the dead according to the scriptures. Men and women testify today of the great power of the risen Christ and how it's transformed their lives. People watching today had a massively, vastly different life before Christ and after meeting Christ. We know that Jesus is alive not only because of this historical, biblical evidence, but because he actually has touched our lives. Some of us lived with addiction. Some of us lived with great sin, and Jesus has saved us. When we see all these things together, you know what we say? I could have faith in that. Like, if I see that and, and I truly believe he's changing lives, if I truly believe that the gospel is what it is, if the Bible says what it says, then really, why, why, do I, why am I not certain about my faith? Yes, our faith may be tested, but when our faith is shaken, um, our road will get blurry. The resurrection stands as a real, uh, as, as a seal of the gospel, which can never be removed or broken. The place where we gaze for true, uh, for true certainty in uncertainty. The resurrection from the dead gave us uncertainty of faith that Jesus uh, was who he promised he was. But he would do what he promised he would do. We trust in his divine sovereignty that life is not going to go as we want it. That, that, that there's going to be uh, uh, valleys and there's going to be valleys and, and hills. There's going to be good years and good seasons. But we know we have faith that God is for our good. Amen? Because he has proposed all things for the good of his children. Romans 8, 28. He has pr proposed some, some to suffer, others to, to, to live a good life in this age. We can either thank him or we can be upset at him. We can be angry and not compliant. And we can just say, Lord, why, why do you allow this? But brothers and sisters, our faith must be certain, must be certain because of the resurrection. We do not fear the future, but we are certain about the future because he is for us and not against us. Though suffering and great tra tragedy will come in our life on this side of eternity, our faith is certain that Jesus is the Son of God and all things will be done according to his will. Amen? Number three, our life has new meaning. And this is important as we think about the resurrection. Many people today, as you know, I mean, if you, if you go to Amazon, right, best-selling books, um, it, it is not political books, uh, it is not biographies, it is self-help books, right? Self-help books uh, make up most of, uh, uh, of the books that are purchased today because people are, are, are dying without purpose. People are longing for purpose. Um, in John 11, and go there with me, uh, John 11, verse 25 to 27, Jesus says something that I think um, is important for us to, 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 to ponder upon, think through as we think about this great resurrection. 
Uh, Jesus says here, I am the resurrection and the life. This is John 11, verse 25 and 27. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Now, let me just change your paradigm of, of this passage. And really, when we think about uh, uh, from that we have gone from death into life, there is a true and physical bodily resurrection that's coming. There is, in fact, a true life from this life. When we think of the resurrection, we may think, well, we're still going to die, aren't we? What is the certainty in that? Yet the certainty of, of eternal life rearranges our meaning and purpose, that our life is not just for 2020. Our life is just not post-coronavirus. That our life is not just 60 years, right? Then what do you do? Get retirement, or go to the beach. What does John Piper say, right? Collecting seashells, right? <laughs> and then count them and just go, you know, I just want to live this peaceful life. It's, you know, it is what it is. Brother and sister, there is... There is a life after death, a true physical resurrection power life after death. Many people today see this life as YOLO, right? You only live once. That's all we have. And so what happens? We're limited with our thoughts. We're limited with our thinking. We put these glasses on and we begin to look at life as a momentary time of our lives. But you see, we must change this perspective because Jesus says here in this passage that he is the resurrection and the life. It's not just the resurrection brought uh, certainty of faith. It is not just that it brought uh, mastery over sin, but it is that brought life, life, eternal life. That actually, uh, you know, it goes further out than just the lives here, the, our lives here on the earth. This momentary life is but a, a vapor, right? That's what Solomon said. There's not much more to enjoy here. But in fact, we have much more to enjoy than in eternity. Because our life does not end here, we live from a different perspective. Think about that for a moment, right? Think about if your life was not just about your job, your life was not just about your marriage, your life was not just about what you want, but it was about eternal life, you living forever, how would that change your finances? How would that change your relationship with your wife? How would that, relate, how would that change uh, your relationship with others? And really, the vision for your life. A perspective of the age to come must be part of our view of the resurrection. If you want a new meaning in life, guess what? This life is not enough. You're not going to find meaning in this life, okay? You only find meaning as you look at the broad spectrum of this life and the age to come. We haven't yet arrived at our destination. The statement, though he, uh, though he die, yet shall he live. That's what Jesus says, right? Uh, that, what does he say in verse uh, yeah, 25 and 27? Though he may die, sh yet shall he live. Every person who will die on this side of eternity and who's held on, who has had faith in Christ Jesus, will come back to life in a glorious body, being and reigning with Christ for a thousand years, and see the great work of Christ that has been promised to him from Jerusalem. Man, I don't know about you, but that changes my perspective than me having a bad morning. Amen? Doesn't that change it? Just, just a tiny bit, if you think about it that way, that it is not just about today, but that's what the resurrection does. So it is not just mastery over sin, that, that we can fight the sin, we can walk in holiness. It is not just that our faith can be certain that we're going to struggle, we're going to have issues, and we're going to go, no, no, but, he, but what he said was true. 
But then you, we, we look onward. We look past this age into the age to come. There is no purpose driven anything in this life apart from the cross saving us and his resurrection life making effective a new life that is to come. Lastly, our message has power. Our message has power. Go to Matthew 28 and for the because of time, I'm just going to I'm not going to read all the passage, but I'm going to just bring some things that go to Matthew 28 and it's just Matthew uh, 21 through 10. And also, again, you have them on your notes. You can follow along. But this is before uh, the great, great commission passage. This is at the beginning of Jesus's uh, resurrection. Uh, it says here that it, it, on the first day of the week, which was in the, in the Jewish week, it was Sunday. We see Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. And look, look at verse 2. There was great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. And, and you, you can just go ahead and go to verse 7. And here's what they're, they're, they're told to say. Verse 7. Then go quickly and tell the disciples, watch this, that he has risen from the dead. Go and say it. Go and tell them. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I have told you. Look at verse 8. So they departed quickly from the tomb and with great fear and great joy ran to tell the disciples. Okay, later on, uh, look at verse 10 again. I guess they got stuck. They got too excited about it and they just kind of, what were we doing anyway? And look at Jesus says, then he said to them again, do not be afraid. Go and tell them, my brothers in Galilee, to go, uh, my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Now, we don't have time to go through all of this, right, with a couple of five minutes left here that I have. But in the earlier, earlier Gospels, you'll see that, you know what Jesus told people about his identity? He said this, shh, don't say anything. Don't tell anybody. It's not time yet. Don't tell anybody about all the things that, uh, that, that he brought all his purposes on the earth. Um, yet, after the resurrection, things changed. The gospel became a gospel that needed to be proclaimed. It became a gospel that needed to be uh, exhorted upon, upon all people. In verse 10, we see Jesus himself stating, go tell my brothers. In fact, late in Matthew 28, we have the, the main missionary verse, Matthew 28, 19, where he says what? Go and tell the whole world about me, right? That's ultimately what it is. And, and here's why, because... This message that we hold uh, in our hearts and we hold in, in the scriptures is a message of power. The fact that people can change their lives, it's not because we have some skill of our own. The fact that people can come from death to life is not because, uh, you know, some random change in their personality, but it is the true power of the gospel. See, the power of the message does not rest on our performance. Jesus simply says this, just go tell. Just go do it. Don't sit there. You've got to go and tell somebody. Sometimes we can think that the gospel is just this big complicated thing. or We can be uh, kind of get our theology in a row or just kind of, I don't know if they're going to ask this question. And I don't know. Brother and sister, when we think about the resurrection, it's a gospel that has power by itself. I'm not saying that you don't have to be skilled or know what you're saying. But, but it doesn't rest on us. Summarizing the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this. For what I receive, I passed on to you, and, of, and as of first importance, so here's Paul saying, this is the most important thing about the gospel. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried, 
and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. This is part of the gospel story. Our message has the power to save because Jesus is alive. If Jesus is not alive, this gospel, uh, you're going to have to do a lot of mustering up to get people to be saved because he has no power. But it only has power because Jesus has come alive. He alone does the work of giving life to every dead person that needs to bow down before his lordship. And so uh, the point is this, that as we think about the resurrection this morning, as we think about it here, uh, we must remember that the message itself has power. A pastor once told me, brother, relax. I know that you have pressure. I mean, some of us, you have pressure of saying something relevant, something really clear. Can I tell, he said this, he goes, let the word of God do the work. Let the word of God do the work. It's not about you. The message itself has power. In fact, that's what Jesus says. Jesus says, do not go and get a degree and then go tell people about me, right? Go, go and get, sit on the great teaching and then, get a, and then go tell. He does not say that. He says, just go and tell them. Not because you're gifted, not because we're perfect, because the gospel has power because of the resurrection. And so how are we going to respond this morning? We're going to respond this morning by simply, um, uh, I would like us to recite, and, and if you're there with me, grab your Bibles and, and go to 1 Peter, 1 Peter, verse 3, verse 3, and uh, actually let's do, yeah, 3 and 4. All right, and that's how we're going to respond today, and I just asked the worship team, uh, Maria, if you could come up. And, 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 you know, again, we don't have much time to give you the context of this passage. But let me, let me just say this, that Peter is writing here to a church that is struggling with persecution. It's a church that does not have uh, the, the time or uh, the, uh, the openness to gather as we do in America. Um, they were being persecuted because of their faith. And Peter is writing First Peter to these people who are dying. Uh, and, and he writes, he begins with a word of praise. And that's really why we, uh, I want us to end here. I want us to end with a heart of praise and, and worship to the Lord. Because this impact is an impact that should bring out forth life from the dead. If you're feeling down this morning, and we're feeling like God is not listening. If you're feeling like, man, I, I'm, not, I'm not in for Christianity, man. I don't know if this is for me. Let, let me tell you that, there, that God wants to change that. God wants to bring life from your dead heart he wants to bring forgiveness to your life, but ultimately give you benefits and change the way we live our lives. And so let, let, if you guys could uh, just pull out uh, 1 Peter, uh, 1 Peter uh, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 3. We're just going to read this together right where you are. And again, th- th- they call this a, um, uh, a creed, a creed of Peter sometimes. Some people said Peter would have recited this or, or, the, or the church would have recited this together. Um, as they were waiting for his letter and hearing how do we, how do we, um, how do we deal with great um, persecution. All right, so why don't we, we do that, and then we'll, we'll worship. All right, so whatever version you have, I think I have the NAV here. Why don't we read? Amen. All right. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time.
just uh, let me take a moment and pray. Father, I pray that um, as we think about the impact of the resurrection, we may think about how it has lost impact in us. How maybe we feel like we're not defeating sin, that we're, in fact, we're being defeated. Lord, maybe our faith is shaken. Maybe we don't even believe you anymore. We don't believe that you're actually Jesus. We don't believe that the resurrection really took place. Father, help us to see that, in fact, you are real and you do exist and you are living inside of us through your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that we may be bold in the gospel message and we, be, we may live in your resurrection and have new meaning in our lives, Lord. That there is life, more life than what we see. In fact, we're living in a small vapor that will soon end. And Lord, you will bring life to us on that day. Give us a glorified body, a hope of eternal life that starts here today. So um, what I want us to do uh, as an act of being together and united, I want us to partake us together in the Lord's Supper. So if you can go to your kitchen or go where you are and go and, and, and get your elements that we've placed with you. If you have uh, grape juice and you, you know, just pull that out if you have that or bread at home, I'm going to give you just one minute to go ahead and get that. Um, I just invite you to do that with me. Because in fact, it all began with the cross. It all began on Friday, and today we rejoice, but really, uh, everything began on Friday. So, if you could, we have some of these that we sent to some of you, so if you could have that with you. And I'm just going to read from 1 Corinthians um, 11. Verse 23. And yes, you can go ahead and open it, the plastic. For I received from the Lord what I have also passed on to you. The Lord, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and he gave thanks. And he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so, church, before we do that, I just want to remind us um, this morning of the great work that Christ has done for us on the cross. His body was broken. His body was beaten. For people who do not deserve such work. So as you break the bread, I ask you to take the bread from your cup. And I'm going to declare here that this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So church, would you... same way, after the supper, he took the cup and said, this is the cup of my new covenant in my blood. Do this, do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you, uh, you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
So we're remembering the cross this morning, remembering his resurrection, but we center ourselves here, remembering the Lord. So would you grab your, your, your um, element, um, grape juice, wine, whatever you may have, and let's partake in it together. Amen. Let's give thanks. You are there with me. Just close your eyes with me. Just give, give thanks with me. Lord, thank you for your blood. Thank you for your body. Thank you for the fact that we can be doing this together, even if it's online. Lord, I ask you that you may bring to remembrance all the things you've done for us. Bring to remembrance all the good things you've done for us. All the faithfulness you've given us. That, Lord, there's nothing but your blood, nothing but you, Lord, who gives life. You're the only person that gives resurrection power. Father, we thank you for this morning. And we ask you, Lord, that we, on this day, as we go forward and go back into normalcy, uh, you know, out of this Holy Week, Lord, that we may have this spirit, this life, that you are alive, that you are alive, Lord, that there are benefits and impact for us this morning and in this age. Help us, Lord, we ask you in Jesus' name.